0: Colossians chapter 1. And so, I was telling Andrew, Andrew, we were, I was wondering about what we were going to do today, and I was like, well, I'll just start going through the book of Colossians, and uh, Andrew's not going to look at chapter 2, maybe maybe somebody else look at chapter 2, maybe I'll pick up on chapter 2 the next uh, time around for me. But I want to just look at the chapter, go through it, and I want to kind of stay within the book as as much as as much as possible, and just kind of go through it and talk about uh, what Paul is writing here to those in Colossae. There's a here's a map here uh, of the region and a lot of the region that Paul uh, went through, and Colossi or Colossae is right here. It's in Asia Minor. Notice it's close to the Mediterranean Mediterranean Sea, and as I was studying for this, I guess I never put it together. But we don't see where Paul ever visits Colossi, and I just found that quite interesting. When we go through uh, the book, it looks as though he's he's re, that Epaphras has gone to Colossi, and then he's hearing of. What is going on there through Epaphras at the latter uh, part of the book there, all right? And so, also the book depends on what you're what you're looking at. I think it was between fifty-seven to sixty-four AD is what people claim to that Paul wrote this letter, and also uh, he wrote this letter while he was in prison at the very end of. Of the book, you'll see a reference to his chains. And uh, as I was looking, people call this one of his prison letters or prison epistles. And uh, Colossians, uh, Philippians, Ephesians, and and, and Philemon was actually written uh, while he was in prison as well. So this is kind of the context and uh, what uh, Paul is going through while he's is writing this letter, and I think knowing that kind of helps us better understand why he says some of the things that he says uh, in uh, the letter. But going straight into Colossians chapter 1, I want to look at verses 1 and 2. I'll have the verses here on the board here, but it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul uh, begins to identify himself. He says uh, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, we see where another apostle was chosen. I believe it was Matthias and the qualification was basically that he was with them and that they were that they were a witness to the resurrection. Paul did not witness the resurrection, but he did witness he, Jesus did come to him he did he was able he did see Jesus to some degree and he was appointed as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of god and he makes this point clear it seems as though throughout the New Testament that I'm sure all the apostles faced people opposing them uh, and and questioning their apostleship, or at least a lot of them, but it seems as though Paul uh, faces the most opposition out of all the apostles. Uh, You think about 2 Corinthians, that he spends a lot of time... uh, basically talking about what he's doing and saying this is who i am this is the evidence for who i am as well and he makes it clear here that this is who he is and that he is an apostle of jesus christ not by his own volition but by the will of god and this is also timothy as well and he says to the saints and faithful brethren in christ who are in Colossae. and interesting that he uses that the idea of saints and faithful brethren I don't think there is a distinction being made here I think it's a reference to the same individuals here uh, you remember also in First Corinthians that, that, that the reference to the saints there the, that the saints are simply the believers the faithful brethren uh, these are not people who performed the miracle according to Catholic doctrine or some sense of that these are simply faithful individuals and also, as we go through uh this letter, I, I think it's um an interesting as well as a comforting thought that there were, there were some questions in the book of Colossians, and as we'll go throughout this, you'll you'll see that. And we don't see them just wholeheartedly, at least to the same degree with the Galatians, wholeheartedly uh falling into false doctrine, but there are some questions here, and there's a lot of good things that's going on here as well. And I think it's a, it's a comforting thought that there is, that we can there we can have questions, that we ought to examine Scripture, that there may be some things that we just don't have totally pieced together, but yet we can still be considered to be faithful brethren. But I think we have to be careful with that, that we have to be striving every day to grow more knowledge and to be able to get things right. And so these are to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, and then also it says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, I don't know if it's in every letter that he is that he writes, but just about all of the letters he writes, he says something to this degree. Grace to you and peace from God. And, you know, we look at that and, and if we're not careful, we can kind of look at it and say, well, maybe this is just a kind of a form of greeting. It's like saying good morning or good afternoon. But we have to recognize that, Grace and and, and really true peace Only comes from God It only comes from Jesus We just got through reading In in Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4 Of the grace that we're going to have Through Christ uh, Through faith And that those blessings are so much more Than those uh, Any type of blessing that you may receive from the law uh, That that they can't have the forgiveness of sins But we can have the forgiveness of sins uh, Through Christ And then also peace from him as well think about uh, this idea of peace that surpasses all understanding that regardless of what's going on uh, we have this peace we have this hope uh, that uh, that ultimately comes from god and that doesn't come uh, from the world and so he's wanting them to have that grace and peace moving on to verses three through eight it says we give thanks to the god and father of our lord jesus christ "...praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit. And it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. Notice how Paul begins. So he kind of has an introduction in verses one and two, and then he immediately talk, talks about how he is always giving thanks uh, f- uh, to God uh, for their, for the saints. He's always praying for them. And why does he give thanks? Why is he always praying for them? Because of their faith Since we heard in, of your faith in Christ Jesus And of your love For all the saints So they, their faith and their love Again there's there's been a complete change uh, That that they have That they have uh, That they're no longer in the world They're of Christ And they are faithful And they love one another And we see the joy that paul has i mean you just read that and you just kind of you pick up on that uh tom holland when he was talking about the book of leviticus you see a lot of people just kind of say well leviticus is kind of a boring book and there's no refer and there's no reason for me to read it i don't understand it whatever and what you really have to do is really kind of dig deeper and, and, and grow in understanding Leviticus. And once you do that, it's kind of a very interesting book. And, but here, there's no, uh, you don't, you, you very clearly see the emotion here with Paul, that he is joyful, he loves those in, individuals, and it's all based on their faith, ...and love for all the saints. It says, because of the hope which is laid up for you uh, in heaven... uh, ...which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And so they have faith. What's their faith based on? What's their love of the brethren? What's it's based on? It's based on the hope that they have that's laid up for them in heaven. That's our goal. Uh, That's what we're all striving for. This is why we're doing uh, these things that we're wanting to attain to the resurrection of the dead. We're wanting that eternal reward. And this eternal reward, how do we know about it? Well, it's heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, uh, that they hear those things, they believed it, and again, there was a change in their life, uh, that this hope and knowledge of this hope only comes through uh, the words. A lot of people that discount the Bible, they'll say, well, I... I love Jesus, or make a statement similar to that manner. But they also, at the same breath, they'll make a statement that basically say, "Well, I don't. I don't really need the Bible. I don't really. I don't really need to know all that stuff." Well, how can you know about this hope? How can you know about this truth outside of the Scriptures? There's no other way in which we can have that, which we can have this hope. And I don't want to get too far into this, but Paul urges them not to just. Hear the gospel and believe it, believe in it, but also to, to, to grow in knowledge and wisdom of the word as well. And so we ought to be doing that. And so this gospel, not only is it just, well, they just believe it and they, they believe maybe a certain set of facts, but also it says that it's bringing forth fruit. The gospel is bringing forth fruit, uh, fruit in them. And also to others that believe the gospel as well. And so, again, it's not just believing a certain set of facts. We're we're being productive in the kingdom as well. Where, if you remember, uh, John, we talked about in Luke about this idea of this man that might have been, uh, he's he's demon-possessed, the demons are cast out, he's swept clean, he's put together, but there's nothing that's filled there, all right? And so you, I think about that idea in the sense of we believe the gospel, but it's not just, again, just believing a certain set of facts. There is a lifestyle change that takes place. that We're, we're doing things totally different. We're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of, of Christ's Son. And so there's a complete change in our lives. We're filling ourselves up in those things uh, that are good, those things that are of God. And so it's bringing forth fruit. And and as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. And then he goes on and says, as you also learned from Epaphras. So Epaphras has been teaching them. How does he describe Paul? Uh, how does Paul describe Epaphras rather? He's a fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And so Paul, he's saying he's an apostle of Christ by uh, by the will of God. And Paul here is vouching for Epaphras. What we're telling you, what Epaphras is telling you is the truth. You ought to be listening uh, to them. And also we see Epaphras that says that he has declared to them their love in the Spirit as well. So Epaphras is telling, Epaphras said, hey, they, I mean, they are, they're doing good. There's a lot of good things going on and most uh, notably he talks about their love uh, that they have for one another. Go on to verses 9 through 14. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through the blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Right? So they they believe the gospel. Uh a is telling of the good things uh, that is going on in, in, in Colossi, and he says, For this reason, again we do not cease to pray for you so the second time he's saying we are we're always praying for you and also what is he wanting them to do that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding this idea of wisdom i think we kind of all kind of understand what wisdom is but i went back and looked and kind of like how this word was used in the 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 greek language during that time and really what this idea was was that you may have some job or you may have you may have something that you're good at so i may be a plumber or an electrician all right but it's not just simply knowledge of how to do that job it's a mastery of it all right so you are a master plumber you are a master house builder so to speak and you just i mean you Completely mastered, you know there's you know all about it, all right, and so this is what God wants to for in regards to the knowledge of his will. He wants you to master it, He wants you to know it. He wants you to be able to just you know all, if 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 something comes up and there's some question, you ought to know the answer to it immediately because we are have are so knowledgeable in that word and not just knowing what the you know maybe just the text of the verse. But how do we apply that? And, you know, we, we go back to Hebrews chapter 5. It talks about this idea of discernment, that we know how to apply uh, the word that has been given to us. And that's where the difficulty comes in. I can read scriptures all day. And uh, we can, but I, I'm telling you, and probably everybody in this room, if a preacher starts quoting scripture and then he starts applying scripture, that's when people start getting upset. People start getting mad because sometimes the application is going to cause individuals to have to make a change in their own lives. And so he's wanting them to grow in knowledge and in wisdom and spiritual understanding, not just the, uh, maybe not just looking at things from, a worldly perspective or this idea of a worldly wisdom that paul talks about as well but this idea of spiritual understanding that you are truly understanding of those things of god and why should we do that why should we grow in wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the lord fully pleasing him again this is a necessity for us we can't walk worthy of the lord we can't be fully pleasing to him if we don 't know his will it 's just not it 's just not possible, and also that we 're fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God again and so again, I, I think Paul is emphasizing pretty plainly that they 've started a good work, but they have to keep on going, they have to keep on growing in the knowledge of his will and also applying that will in their life and then also he he, he talks about this idea of the father has qualified them to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light so they all do these things why well look what the father look what jesus has done for them they have he, he has qualified them to be a uh, partaker of this inheritance just what we read back in galatians that we're now heirs all right so inheritance of the saints in the light so the inheritance that the saints have all right and so also, we have just read this uh, passage, and in, in while we be, uh, before we took the Lord's Supper, that we have this inheritance. We also been delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Interesting enough, it's I don't know. Maybe I see it on Facebook occasionally or whatever, and I guess it just may be the stuff that I follow. I know Facebook kind of shows stuff that you're interested in based on some algorithm or whatever. But it's interesting that you'll see people make these claims, well, you know, I'm, I'm good, I don't, I don't need Jesus, I don't need God, I'm better than those Christians. I do so much more good than they do. And, and maybe they do do a lot of good. I don't discount that. But what is the reality here? What, what, those people, those that are not Christians, what is your true state? You're under the power of darkness. All right, you're in, you're in that realm there. All right, you're not a part of Christ or close to Christ or a part of this kingdom but because you do good things. Rather, you are under this power of darkness, regardless of what you may think. But for a Christian, they have been delivered from that power of darkness. They have been conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That word conveyed every time I. I Think about that verse. I kind of get this idea of maybe a a surfer on a big wave, and he just kind of gets pushed into the into the beach. I don't know why I think about that, but that's kind of my the idea that I always get. There, you're being conveyed into this kingdom. uh, That there is, you're no longer under this power of darkness. You're no longer under bondage of sin, but rather now in this kingdom. And we also through this we have redemption through His blood. We've been bought back through his blood, and we also have the forgiveness of sins uh, through Christ as well. Verses 15 through 18, it says, speaking of Christ, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, Visible and invisible were the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I used uh, some of these scriptures, if I'm not mistaken, the lesson a few weeks ago about Satan's rule and authority and contrasting that rule of Satan versus the rule of God or the rule of Christ. And we see who Christ is. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. Philippians 2 says that he's equal with God. So, that, so then there's really not there's no difference there. He is God. And it, he's also described as the firstborn over all creation. And also we see uh, that he played a part in creation. It says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven... And that on on earth, we see that repeated in Hebrews chapter 1 as well. So everything was created through him. All things were created through him and for him as well. So what is your purpose? You know, why are we here? You know, we're here to glorify God. We're here to glorify Christ. Uh, a lot of people have this idea that we're just, you know, we're just... Uh, you know, maybe we're just a, a gift to God. We're just so good and we just got everything figured out and that God ought to be glad that we're with him or whatever of, of that same sort. Reality, you were created for him. All things were created for him. And uh, it's it's not that uh, God is there or God was created for you or some other things were created for you. Rather, all things were created for you. God and it says he is before all things and in him all things consist again he is the he's the ultimate authority and also it says that he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so he's all these things he has the utmost authority how much more should the church be obedient uh, to him he is the head of the body. He is the one that dictates what the church is going to be doing. Uh, not an elder, not a board of deacons, not some convention. Uh, none of those things matter. It's rather Christ and Christ alone who is able to dictate what the church does and how the church is organized. And so, again, he's the image of the invisible God. It says that he's the firstborn from dead here and so that in all things he may have the preeminence. Pretty clear here who Christ is. He's the one in charge. Who's the one uh, that ought to have or ought to be given uh, the glory and the ones that we ought to be obedient to. Verses 19 through 23, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature on the heaven, of of which I, Paul, became a minister again, Paul is still talking about who Christ is. He says that it pleased God that it, in him all the fullness of dwell, and all things were reconciled to God by Christ, as whether things on earth or things in heaven don 't quite understand what he's talking about these things in heaven uh, Maybe it's, I don't know if he's referencing those that maybe were under the old law that are in paradise. I'm not sure there, but he's reconciling all things uh, to uh, God through Christ. And all things, and, and reconcile, and then he made peace through the blood of his cross. Again, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should forgive sins, but his blood can forgive sins. And again, Paul references back to the former life of the believers. That they were... Whoops. Gonna... Gonna... Wow. Gonna have an accident here. And that rather they were... Whoops, we done went back to... Let's see if we can get it back. Y'all about seen something there. But anyways... We, again, we see Paul uh, referencing back to who the believers once were. They were alienated. They were enemies in their minds by wicked works. They were totally against God, uh, that they were completely in sin. And the reality is there's nothing outside of Christ that could save them. And we see that Christ once again reconciled him through his body, his flesh, through death, And through that, what can be accomplished? All right. So you were alienated enemies. You were under the power of darkness. And now you can be presented holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Again, a complete 180 degree change, completely different from what you are. This is only through the blood of Christ. This is the only way that you can have this. This is not through, uh, you know, some other self-help or whatever it may be, the only way you can't have this through the law as well, the only way you can have it is through faith in Christ. And you can be presented, again, if you indeed continue in the faith. There's always that, I guess it's a, I don't know if a disclaimer is the right word, but you can be presented as long as you continue in the faith, as long as you continue to do what you're doing. Again, that you are, You already hear the truth. You already made the change. You are to grow in the knowledge of his will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You ought to continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Don't move away from that. As we continue going on into the other chapters of of this book, of this letter, you'll see, again, there are some problems with Judaism. The same thing that we read in Galatians and other books, that... There's some question, and there is some danger that if they hold on, grab a hold of those things, they can't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Galatians 1 said that those other gospels, they have no power to save. And if you are moved away from it, you're not continuing the faith, you won't be presented holy and blameless. And so this gospel that Paul is advocating for, he's not just some person that's sitting back, and maybe just some type of supervisor, he's preaching, he's a minister, and this word, this gospel, says that it was preached to every creature under heaven. This this message has been spread forth. All have a chance to to heed and believe the gospel here. And if they believe, they can be presented holy and blameless and above reproach, just like those that currently believe. Moving on to verses 24 through 29, it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints to them God will to make known one of the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Jesus in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Notice that very first sentence. That's, that's, that's interesting here. That Paul, in reference to his suffering, he's, so he's in prison right now. He's not tolerating his sufferings. He's not just dealing with his sufferings. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings. And wh- Why? why? What, what is he suffering for? He's suffering for the cause of Christ. That Christ suffered. Uh, you know, those that were faithful to God throughout time suffered. And so he's suffering. It's it's recognition that they're doing the right thing, similar to how the apostles earlier, I believe it was Acts chapter 4 or thereabouts, which they rejoiced uh, that they were worthy to be, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but they were basically worthy uh, for to be of Christ because they suffered uh, for him. And so he's doing these things for the sake of his body. And again, Paul references he's become a minister uh, to the church according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, again, recognizing who uh, this came from. It came from God. This ministry came from God. And so he's been given that uh, to fulfill the word of God. And now he starts talking about this mystery, this mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. Again, referencing back to the study in Galatians, talks about this idea of uh, that we're under the law until the appropriate time. Again, we have this mystery that was hidden for a long time, but now it has been revealed to his saints. And so... He calls it a mystery, but he kind of reveals what this mystery is. He says, To them, God will to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we get some indication of what uh, this mystery is. It is Christ, it's the salvation that we can have through Christ, it's this new covenant. And this is not just for the Jews but it's also for the Gentiles. Anyone who believes uh, can, can have uh, this promise, can be a part of and have this hope of glory uh, that he talks about. And so this mystery has been revealed. Paul has preached it. He's a steward of this ministry. And also he ends this by warning. He says, him we preach, that being Christ, Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man in Christ Jesus. That is Paul's goal. We teach, we warn, we do what is necessary to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And so it's perfectly clear that Paul is not in it for himself. He's not trying to make a name for himself. He's not trying to make money. And there's seems like nobody... Uh, or at least most of those that are associated with Paul are not in it for ulterior motives. They have true uh, motives. They're in this to the end. And what's their goal again? Presenting every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And we see, to this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. He's continuing on, even while he's in prison. I think that would be a good excuse to just say, you know what, I'm on... I'm gonna I'm going take a break. I'm in prison. Nobody is going to say anything if I don't if I don't do anything. But we see that he's continued to work and he's writing letters. And I think if he's in prison, he's probably talking to those that he that he sees in prison as well about Christ. He's continuing his labor and he's striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. God is just the uh, and I think this motivating factor is uh, the change that was made in Paul. The salvation is hope that we have, just like he talked about at the beginning of chapter 1, that all those things motivate him and causes him to work in a way that we see here. It's working in him mightily. And so, that's the end of chapter 1. Kind of sped through that, I know. We're about out of time. But we see, again, going back, the change... If I can find it, here we go. The change that was made, uh, the the, the faithful brother made that they were, you know, under the power of darkness. And we see here that they believe the gospel and this hope is laid up for them in heaven now because they believe the truth of the gospel. And that same thing is for us today. That same hope can be had for us today. We have to believe. We have to have faith in Christ. We have to be obedient to him as well. And so if anyone here needs that hope, wants to become a Christian, we'd certainly uh, like to get those things squared away for you as soon as possible. And also, we know that it's possible for people to... Turn away from the faith, or as Paul puts it, that you have to strive to continue in the faith. And so the implication there is: we can turn from it, we can get involved in sin, we can just, uh, we can uh, be consumed by temptations to where we are just living in sin again, even though we profess Christ. And we can make a change. We can repent and be forgiven of those things as well. And so if that's you, uh, if you are a Christian and you uh, need. Uh, to confess something, you need the prayers of the saints for whatever reason, uh, we certainly offer this invitation now as we stand and as we sing, uh, we come. Well, I can wash away my sin.